0: If you're wondering what, um, well, we we love having flowers, it's great, but there's um, a funeral here. One of our church members died, Hazel, and it's her funeral tomorrow afternoon, so the church is beginning. This isn't bunting for the royal wedding, it's in celebration and thanksgiving for Hazel's life. And uh, this um, statue here has appeared, we're not into statues in our church, but just in case you're wondering what's going on, uh, this is... um, uh, a statue that uh, Hazel and Jim saw uh, in a garden said, "I think it was in Hid- um, Batsford Arboretum in the shop." And uh, they were coming through, and Hazel said, "I like that. I'd like that." And they're not in statues, but it was quite unusual. Anyway, Jim wheeled her to the car in the wheelchair, put her in, and sort of disappeared back. And managed to get it in a bag, black bag, and smuggle it into the car. And it appeared in the garden as a surprise for Hazel. And he he was kind of being a romantic. You're wondering why I'm telling you this. It'll get to the point in a minute. He was being romantic and he thought, oh, it's Hazel and me. And he went, no, it's not, it's silly, he said, Jim to Hazel. This is the Lord's grace and love holding me. So um, if you lose my sermon along the way, remember his grace and love holds you. Galatians chapter 6. I was talking to someone this morning who was visiting us from San Luis Obispo. He's one of our regulars every year. Uh, They've been coming for a number of years. Uh, And uh, he said, I've been really enjoying your Galatian series, all the way from the West Coast. So who knows who's listening? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Who knows who's listening? For the congregation here and now. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers and sisters Amen I wonder how many uh, emails should you have email I won't ask you to confess if you don't use it Uh, I wonder how many emails you've had in the last two weeks that have got something along the lines in the subject line act now GDPR it's been like a snow flurry, an avalanche of these emails. Uh, and some of them, I have no idea how they have got my email address, but I'm quite glad that I haven't replied to them, so they're not going to email me. I've like, organizations I've never heard of have been emailing me saying, please keep in touch with this. And, and uh, some of, I've kind of, it's been like a review. Have you been reviewing who you like and who you don't want to be sending you circulars? If you get one from the church, say Yes. Uh, it's important, data protection and all that. Um, but one thing is I've noticed they, they, are, they are very general and very generic. And they even have, when you click it to sign up, they then goes to say, prove your humanity. Have you had one of those? It's like a, it's one of those capita things where you have to like do an extra step to prove that you're really real. I think the cheek. <laughs> to prove your humanity. They're very generic. One of the things that Galatians has been is far from generic, far from just off the peg, circular correspondence sent out to the masses. These are to people he loves. These are to people to whom he knows. Interestingly, that the Galatians finishes in a very different fashion to many of the other letters of the New Testament that Paul writes. If you look at Romans and uh, in Thessalonians and in many of those, he sends greetings to. If you remember that greeting? Romans particularly has a whole chapter of names of people, Phoebe and Junius and Tychicus and all those. But in Galatians, he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't finish with a, a, a list of, uh, of greetings to specific people. I'm sure he knows who they all are. He's wrote with love and compassion. But he he sums up in these final few verses, in wonderful ways, the, the kind of summary of the gist of what he's been writing. Imploring them, urging them, provoking them to remember, calling them back from straying too far. It is one of the earliest letters, probably around about A.D. 49. The first that we have, uh, part of Scripture, the oldest bit in New Testament terms, the first bit, A.D. 49. Remember that Jesus um, variously died. If this confuses you, why do we not know? It's probably about A.D. 30 30 or 33. Uh, I'm sure he did die and rose again. Uh, But if you think that's only sort of maybe 15, 16, 17 years from his death and resurrection the eyewitness living account it's kind of like the turn of the millennium for us not that long ago is it not really and already the the work of jesus is unfolding already and he starts to sign off he is likely to have had a scribe somebody who was he was dictating uh, the the bulk of this letters but he in chapter 6 verse 11 he he uses these phrases see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. I'll talk about that in a moment. But again, the other time of year you get a lot of correspondence, or used to, is it's Christmas, isn't it? And round robin newsletters are out of vogue. Some people think that's a mercy. <laughs> A stack of A4 letters of uh, accomplishments of piano exams and school trips and how wonderful children are and and all that. And I I usually read them with some interest. But actually what really captures me, uh, uh, usually for people that I know quite well, they usually write a little handwritten bit at the end. And it's personalized. And it's to me. In no way am I saying that Paul is sending a, a round-robin Christmas newsletter to the churches in the area of Galatia. But there is something he wants to emphasize. See what large letters I write to you with my own hand. He's, he's drawn away the quill from his scribe, his amanuensis, and is penning this. I don't think he's trying to fill up the parchment, large letters, you know. Use the space up. It's probable, as I was mentioning a few weeks ago, that he ha- has some sort of uh, eye problem, eye infirmity. Uh, that he's talked about this. If you, um, if you look in chapter four, if you have good old school, multifunctioning uh, paper version, as Phil was calling it this morning, or quick nimble fingers on devices, it's chapter four, verse fifteen. That if you could have done so, you'd have torn out your eyes and given them to me. It's likely that he's become uh, short-sighted, perhaps, or has some eye condition. But he's writing to them. Paul, the one who came and preached. Paul, the one who contended for them. Paul, the one who brought them the message of grace. Paul, the one who drew alongside them and showed them a better way. Paul, the one who loved them. And in fact, this letter proves really successful. It's kind of blunt at times. It's, it's fairly brutal. Uh, it, 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 it takes no truck. even in the short distance from the resurrection, ascension, and the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, the expansion of God's kingdom, the acts uh, of the Holy Spirit and of, uh, of the establishment of a growing missionary movement, that it's, it's no surprise that alongside that, there begins to be the persecution and opposition to seek to undermine what the Lord is building. Essentially, Paul has been saying that that rather than the outwards, an inwards change needs to happen. That that was at the the heart of the gospel. That it's not just the outward conforming, but the inward change of heart, the inner life, freedom from the inside that gets worked out to the outward. It's not just about the religious ceremonial observance. Even though that was seen as good in the law of Moses, that wasn't sufficient to save. Jesus who came fulfilled all of the old and in doing so superseded it. Not rejecting it out of hand and saying rubbish, but saying now the fullness of all that God planned had come. I was reminded as I was preparing, if uh, uh, even a prophetic promise is not referenced in Galatians um, but I'm sure it could have been. That's a slightly dangerous thing to say, isn't it? I'm assuming what I knew Paul was thinking. But Ezekiel 36, 24 to 27, would say this. It does say this. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your, all your idols. And this is a bit particularly. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. The, the prophet Ezekiel in, in the exile, um, 500 or so years before the coming of Jesus, was foreseeing a day where the outward signs of law, of tablet, of, observ- of observance, of how to match up and and constantly falling short. There'd come a new day on the initiative of God, the way he would send his spirit and he would give us a new heart, calling together a new people from all places to follow him. So in summation, in these concluding remarks, these personalized notes to the church that he loves, to the individuals, he writes with his own hand. It's a final plea to reject false teaching, a recapitulation of that which has gone before. And he's an excellent summarizer. He says, keep in the substance of the gospel. Don't be distracted and led away. He says, and there's a challenge to them, you know, these people, these Judaizers, these people who are wanting to say, it's Jesus plus, keep the festivals and the Sabbath and the food requirements, or it's, you know, row back from the grace of God, it's too wonderful and too abounding to say that we are saved entirely through grace. There's nothing that we can add to this gospel. There's nothing we can add to our salvation. It's entirely in Jesus Christ alone. That's a shocking statement. And it always challenges us. Why? Why? Because because the gospel is saying that we are too weak and too sinful to contribute anything. That we, we can't contribute anything to the salvation of God. Nothing. He has done it. The only way to be saved, it's offensive. And he talks about being persecuted for the cross in verse 14. And 14, he talks about, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that indeed persecution comes. Why? Because the only way to be saved is not via many ways, but only through the Savior Jesus. And he's calling them back to remember that without the cross, they are lost. And it's a scandal still. It's not so scandalous to bad people. I mean, for, for, the, for Phil and, and those that go into Long Larton and, and talk to maximum security prisoners, it's, it's not the issue that, that, oh gosh, can I be saved? It's I'm so guilty. And, and how can I be saved after doing something so wrong? And there's a big battle to get over that he died for you. And, and his grace is sufficient to rescue you. I mean, the worst of the worst, turning to Jesus, sometimes the hardest are those who class themselves as good. I'm not that bad. Maybe not on the world's scheme, but still failed, fallen. And the cross is still offensive because it calls for brutal honesty. I'm not sufficient. He is. Paul challenges the Galatians in his summary to say, actually, you know, these Judaizers, they're not that concerned about you. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. In other words, the more they could get to show conformity through a small cut, slightly ironic statement. The more impressive it is to those who can hold up a slightly weird token of their achievements. But Paul says, no, it's not the outward, it's the substance of the heart. That they're not really passionate about the law of Moses, though they seem to be. If they were passionate about the law of Moses, they would be drawn to Jesus. But they're more about proving things to themselves about the human externals but for Paul for Paul it's all about Jesus this is the gospel, this is the good news, this is the focus this is the linchpin, this is the crux, this is the fulcrum this is the heart, Jesus you see he summarized it, the only way the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ the cross is the heart of all things but even those who are circumcised keep the Lord. They, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. And here he goes. Verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He boasts in the cross of Jesus. I mean, he uh, gets a little bit carried away when he's proving his credentials in other parts and says he's of the tribe of Benjamin and studied under this gala- Gamaliel and uh, of, of righteousness and zeal. He was uh, second to none, and he, you know, he had the credentials. He could have pulled out his uh, first century business card and whopped it on the table or sent his uh, digital signature on his email and said, no, don't you know, I, you know, if anyone to boast... But he's come to the cross and says this is his whole horizon. I do wonder, and I don't point fingers in this, but I I do wonder a little bit about where the attack, where the weak points are in contemporary British Christian faith. It was drawn clearly to me over a course of weeks a few years ago, and it kind of almost moved me to write a book Phil and Hermie even bought me a journal to write my book on sabbatical, still waiting. But in essence, and saved me a lot of time. I'll tell you why I was thinking about writing the book. I never got around to it. There were a series of episodes that happened that just set off a little strain of thought and a little bit of a, a ringing bell to say, please note there is a problem. There were a number of songs that came out, and they used a little t- kind of phrase that they seem to have stopped coming out now. But there was a little phrase, uh, and uh, it's, there's a song particularly that sums it up, that I always want to change the lyrics on the screen and never get around to it, and the worship leaders keep singing the wrong lyric in my view. Sorry. But it says, he is made as a way by which we can be saved. God so loved the world. And it, it's a phrase, a way by which we're saved. Uh, and, you know, grammatically, there isn't a way, the way. It's not an indefinite. It's not one amongst many. He is the way by which we are saved. And it wasn't just that song. It kind of crept into other th- songs that were coming out uh, in um, particular places. And it irks me. And I, whenever I sing it, I change the song. I'm, I'm like a rebel about that. And so I just sing my own lyrics. Not to be pedantic, but I actually think it's really crucial that we actually preach Christ crucified, the cross, the cross, alone the cross. I was then at, um, at New Wine, and uh, particularly, and I uh, love New Wine, and I happened to be browsing the bookstalls because I, I like books, and uh, this was in my mind, and I'll explain one of the contexts. And, I, and I was, there's lots of great books, and, and none of them I was knocking, and I um, really appreciate many of the authors. But I was really kind of disheartened in a bookstall of many books. I, I could find one classic on the cross, and that was John Stott, The Cross of Christ. And there were dozens and dozens of books, and all great, and I've read some of them and, you know, recommend them. And they're not anti-Jesus, but I was just sort of struck by how much does the cross of Jesus figure in our thinking? Not just on an evangelistic message. Not just in a, let's call people to Jesus and the cross and then we move on. I mean, we, we do disciple people and teach them all ways. But I, I wonder, do we understand, as Paul wonderfully says, I mean... I'm still trying to figure out, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me? And that's a really broad, encompassing statement. Cruciform in shape. I think once we start to understand that, and I'm still trying to work it out, that's why I've not written the book. (laughs) Get out of jail free card. The Paul seems to have understood and grasped and moving from that inward conviction of the outward, the inward impact of Jesus on the cross to boast in the cross alone and through which the world has been crucified to me. That not only recognizing we come to the cross and kneel before it and he takes away our sins, but to take up our cross daily to live that way i I, I don't profess to understand it all and the third little thing that that just struck me and and still sticks with me a little bit is is we were doing a mission kind of training thing with some of our young people wonderful young people all a bit more grown up now and we were doing that slightly simple exercise but got them thinking of how would you share your testimony in the space of three to five minutes with someone who happened to ask and we got them to do this exercise and and they told their story and it was it was it you know, really wonderful testimonies. But out of 15 who did it, only one of them mentioned in their story the importance of the cross to them. I mean, they talked about encountering God and being overwhelmed with God's love. Hallelujah, amen. Meeting Jesus, of of knowing that God had got a plan and a purpose to know that they mattered to God. They weren't um, irrelevant, all those kind of things. Absolutely important. But the little bell went off in my mind as, you know, working with youth. Have they got the cross in their story? And uh, Maybe it's just me. But it seemed to matter to Paul. It seemed to matter to Paul because the cross is the symbol of the love of God expressed in Jesus to save us. Entirely the action of God. Not through our works, no one can boast. In fact, the only boasting is in the cross of Jesus Christ. The only boasting. That place where we see the fullness of God's glory expressed and the fullness of God's love acted out. In summary, Paul Paul moves on a little bit from there, if I can use the word move on. He, He says in verse 15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything in other words, it's not the outward; it's not, you know, kind of. Well, I don't need to describe in detail what he's trying to drive at there, but it's not the outward form of whether you conform or not, by virtue of a religious action, right that has taken place. What counts is the new creation. Remember, he's, he's spent five chapters describing an outline what it means to be children of promise, and then in. Uh, chapter 5, particularly, he's talked about what that freedom is, freedom from from within. It's not the outward following rules and regulations, but that heart change, that, that, that law being written on our hearts, the grace of God in our hearts, and from within, working it out. And he, he kind of describes the difference between life in the flesh and life in the spirit. The old way, which leads to debauchery and, uh, and um, uh, idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and discord and all those kind of things. Or the fruit of the Spirit from being regenerated, new creation within. We can't manufacture this. This is a sovereign work of God. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, um, gentleness, and self-control against these things. There is no law. In other words, new creation. It's not the outward form. It's not the whitewashing, but the inward. Jesus talked about the religious who were rotting within and seem to be bright white. Without, it needs the heart change. It he needs the work of God within. Paul is right on the button. What counts is the new creation. And goes on in verse sixteen: peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. And that's a slightly curious statement. I was reading that. What has the editor of our new NIV mixed himself hurt themselves up? Uh, possibly. Possibly not. There's a footnote on that 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 talks about or rule and to Israel, the Israel of God. In essence, uh, Paul is in here, he's using this word, uh, this rule, it's a, it's a military metaphor. He's saying that he's now uh, conscripted, he's walking as a soldier of God under the rule, the direction of God, who's calling together his new people. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I think he's referring there, probably to the signs of having been whipped and flogged and shipwrecked and and so forth, not to some slightly weird spiritual kind of um, stigmata or anything like that. I think it's just the, the physical realities of being persecuted that he bears on his body the marks of Jesus. Why is he summarizing? Because he's concerned for them. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters, amen. He's back to the start. Chapter one, verse three, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God and the Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace, verse 18, of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you your spirit. The grace of God through Jesus Christ is all we need. No additions, no circumcision, no Sabbath keeping, no law abiding. It's freedom that Christ has set us free. Grace alone from the inward out. It's an astonishing letter And it's the early one, and it finds its context in the story of Acts. The Paul is is this pioneer missioner. He's the opponent, the religious one, the zealot, persecuting the Judaizers, saying they're straying from the good law. And he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he realizes it's not about that. It's about him, Jesus, the crucified and raised Messiah, the one prophesied from the Old Testament. But these Judaizers can't accept it. In chapter 14 of Acts, there, Paul and, and Barnabas are preaching the gospel, and a controversy happens. Certain people, verse 15, I know um, uh, Sarah's got this on the, tech, on the screen for us. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you're circumcised according to the, uh, the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into short, sharp dispute and, and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some of the other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about the question. Everything was at stake. The church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this new made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Really interesting what he responds to them. What Peter had seen at the house of Cornelius. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He didn't discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent. As they listened to Paul and Barnabas telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they'd finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it's written. And this is from Amos. After this, I will return and build David's fallen tent. Its Ruins will rebuild. I will restore it. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them about, uh, to abstain from food polluted to idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat strangled of animals and the blood, And uh, for the law of Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times and read in the synagogues in the Sabbath. And then they write a letter, and Paul and Barnabas are sent back to the Galatians. Paul has written this letter, it's been delivered, and in the timing of God, this festering issue of what is grace is the cross enough is salvation through faith enough and paul writes to the galatians and of course it is but that explodes, that issue explodes. It's not been resolved and it comes to the council of Jerusalem and they, they sit and they discern and they gather and they say, don't you know it's about the spirit and about the inward? It's, don't you see how the, the, the people who have received the spirit, that's God's favor, that's God is accepting, that's God's uh, seal saying that they have believed in Jesus and that is enough. As we've just sung, your grace is enough, more than I need. And that key moment in the story of the church is a seminal moment. He has done it once and for all. Through the story of Galatians and the letter that was written, the big challenge to live from the inside out, from the heart's new creation, recreation, coming alive through Jesus Christ and his Spirit's work. The challenge to avoid conforming back into just pattern and obligation and routine and simple religion that on the outward looks acceptable but hasn't touched the heart. And to be inspired by this gospel that says this is grace is for all. That even those who seem far away become children of promise. In the discussion we saw between Hagar and Sarah, Isaac and Ishmael, that it always was simply trusting in the saving work of Jesus, that God the Father sent the Son in the power of the Spirit to open the way, the truth, and the life. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Full stop. Amen. So be it. Let's stand together. Sisters and brothers, we, it was so privileged that this letter is written to our sisters and brothers. And it's, it's written to us from the loving, compelling heart of Paul to disciple us, to shape our thinking, to quicken our spirit. to wonder again at the m- immense, wonderful purposes of God that weave and emerge through the pages of the old and the calling of Abraham and the, the gifting of Isaac, of, of promise, of the law that, uh, that was given as good but, but given to and pointed forward to a better And the power that is unleashed through Jesus Christ of salvation. To radically reform Saul into Paul. And Simon into Peter. And to begin again in our story. Many of us have known it. And now we live it out. Holy Spirit. Work in us. Yes, to Bible read and pray, but also that that should be formed and well up from within. That we choose to walk in step with your Spirit, not in line with our natural tendency and desires, the ways of the flesh. And spare us the trap of thinking, okay, it's, we've saved by grace, but now we just have to work at it really hard. Thank you that you provide the Holy Spirit. Be filled afresh. Wherever it is in our lives that you are at work, whatever it is that you're working on, to let us be like Jesus. We bless and say, yes, grace and peace to us, power of God to us. But I pray too, as Paul just just summarized, to live a life that is shaped by the immense power and overwhelming love of God that is cruciform in shape. That as we've sung in a song just earlier, from heaven you came helpless babe. So let us learn how to serve that we may live this is our God, the servant king. Grace and peace to us. Not in contented settlement, but in radical re-envisioning. Your grace is enough. And help us to know how to boast about you, Jesus.